Chapter Sixteen of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Freeston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The labour involved. In dealing seriatim with the passes herein described, I have laid down no particular insistence upon the degree of labour involved in the occasionally long and toilsome ascents, and it may be that to the majority of cyclists the prospect of severe exertion would be more likely to prevent their undertaking an alpine tour than the possibility of accident on the downgrades. I have not the smallest wish to paint a picture that is all couleur de rose, nor conveniently to ignore the hard work which is inseparable from the ascent of this pass or that. The whole object of this book is to help the reader, so far as lies in my power, to appreciate the exact circumstances of the case. It is not difficult, however, for the reader to arrive at a tolerably accurate appraisement of the amount of work that would lie before him did he decide to ascend any of the passes I have dealt with in detail. I have been scrupulously careful to give the altitudes at every point of note, and, while seated in his study chair, the tourist may draw up a plan of campaign which will tell him exactly how many miles of walking on each pass will be required or the arduousness or otherwise of the varying stages of each individual ascent. If he already knows anything about gradients, and no tourist should be ignorant on such a topic, he may take a rise of one in eight as typifying a really steep hill, such as Westerham and other familiar examples in Kent. None of the passes he will find approach this limit of severity. They are much more likely, in fact, to rise at the rate, on the average, of one in fifteen. But against this, of course, is to be set the protracted nature of the ascents, which may be continuously unridable for a dozen or more miles. There is much, however, that may be set against this apparently appalling prospect. It is rare, indeed, that the road is so monotonous as to be unredeemed by picturesque surroundings, which of themselves demand a frequent halt, even if the fatigue of the moment does not require it. It is rare, too, that the hotels or inns are so far apart that one need be in any fear of lack of food, or even accommodation for the night, if it becomes advisable to curtail the appointed programme. The cyclist's chief aim should be to dismiss all sense of anxiety from his mind, and that eagerness to get the hard work over, which is so praiseworthy as a rule, but must here be tempered by restraint. We cyclists loathe hills because they interfere with the uniformity of our progress, but if we could but bring ourselves to analyse the matter, we should find that we often do much harder work when in the saddle than in tackling the steepest and longest hill up which we have ever had to push a machine. It is because the contrast between this pushing and easy cycling on the level is so sharp that we come to hate walking with a machine at all, but in reality the pushing itself demands less labour than many would willingly devote to the pursuit of another form of exercise. For myself I would rather ascend an alpine pass any day than row against stream, or play forward in a football team, or field at point under a broiling sun. The thing above all others that the cyclist should essay to do before beginning to ascend a pass is to get rid of the grudging feeling of distaste for every moment that he is out of the saddle. If he can do this and resign himself to the long walking with a cheerful spirit, he will reduce the sensations of fatigue by one half. I do not say that he will never get tired, but I do say, and emphatically, 
that the fatigue of pushing a machine is mental as much as physical, and that with patience as his motto, he may pull through in a way that would surprise himself at home. He will have gained permanently, too, when he has got back home, for the potent recollections of the long climbs will make most English hills seem short, and though he will have to work none the less hard on those which are just rideable, he will feel vastly more comfortable than of yore on those which are beyond his powers. Like most cyclists, I used to be ashamed to dismount, unless actually compelled, but after my Swiss and Tyrolese experiences, I have not the smallest scruple in so doing, and even welcome the very change of action that was formerly detestable. It might not be amiss, moreover, whenever the spirit of rebellion against the long-drawn spell of walking up a pass becomes particularly rampant, if the self-pitying cyclist were to transfer his thoughts for the nonce to the real alpine climber, who has no skilfully engineered carriageway to walk along, and whose labours not infrequently demand a courage that is leonine, and the strength and agility of an acrobat. Indeed, there may be many who will be deterred from cycling in the Alps by what they infer to be the arduousness of the undertaking, but there are none who have actually been over any of the passes who would for a moment think of ranking their own achievements with those of the professed mountaineer. The contrast between the broad roadway and the jagged peaks that tower above is too immediate to permit of any boasting on the part of the wheelman, nor does it avail for any one to retort that the latter is especially handicapped by his machine, for the climber must needs carry almost as great a weight as that which the cyclist rolls easily along. I fancy that if Sir Martin Conway, who is a cyclist as well as a world-famous climber, were sounded on the subject, he would not dissuade the ambitious wheelman from an alpine tour on the score of excessive toil. The most striking testimony in favour of cycling in these high latitudes is the fact that all whom I have known to indulge therein have spoken in no doubtful strain, but have advised others to go and do likewise. In some correspondence, for example, that was published in the Cyclist Touring Club Gazette of December 1899, one member confessed to having ascended 14 passes and descanted on the exhilaration and grandeur of his experiences. Another member, referring to the stiffest climb of all, the Stelvio, wrote, The splendour of the scenery, the excellent condition of the road surface, the great height attained, all these combined to make the crossing of the Stelvio a unique experience. In the course of cycle tours extending into ten countries, I have found no cycle ride to equal it. The run from the top of the pass to Bormio Baths, the steepest part of the descent, if taken at a high rate of speed, affords, I consider, one of those few moments of wild excitement and exhilaration which occur but rarely in a lifetime. There is no suggestion here as to the fatigue of the previous ascent on the Austrian side. All such is forgotten in the grandeur of the landscape and the thrill of the rapturous descent. The bracing properties of the alpine air must not be forgotten when considering the question of labour on the upgrades. This stimulus is particularly noticeable in the early morning, wherefore it is always politic to rise betimes and start before the sun has attained its full power. At midday, of course, the strength of its rays is considerable, because of the rarefaction of the atmosphere when one has reached a point several thousand feet above sea level. The presence of banks of snow, however, has a tempering effect upon the heat, 
and at its worst this is far less enervating than that of an english summer the passes too are none of them so lofty as to affect the respiration and even on the top of the stelvio itself there is no consciousness of the necessity for that rapid breathing which is essential in still higher latitudes a word of warning is desirable however if the cyclist happens to find himself at midday at an intermediate altitude where the zone of snow has not been entered and the heat is really distressing because the road happens to be cut on the side of the hill which is not in the shade at such a time he must not be tempted to drink of the ice water which comes trickling down the slopes he may sip it to cool his throat but if he imbibes an appreciable quantity it may prove too much for his vitality in moderation i have refreshed myself with ice-cold water as high even as franzenhoer over seven thousand feet up without any ill effects but the result of more liberal indulgence on the oberalp between Dicentis and Chiamut, was a temporary but inglorious collapse. End of chapter 16